If you have your Bibles with you this morning, um, please turn to Colossians chapter 2. As we turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, um, and I know that uh, Church of the Lamb has been going through this series um, section by section. As we arrive here, we come to uh, the nucleus of the letter. Um, the, the, the first two verses here, verses 6 and 7, contain Paul's thesis statement for the book of Colossians, or for his whole letter. And so the whole DNA, really, of Colossians is contained in these nine or so verses. And so as we turn to them, uh, we come to a, a very important, obviously, hinge in this book. As we, prior to reading this again, um, kind of prepare our minds and our hearts, I want to illustrate maybe what, what Paul is about to do here. What Paul is going to do here is he's going to present to us this category for our faith by which he wants, to, he wants us to think about it and, and engage it. And the category is um, that our faith is something that we, though ha- we've received it as a gift from God, simply by his mercy and grace, it's something that we have to fight to maintain. And that is a difficult thing to hear, and it doesn't fit neatly into one theological category or another. It's just what Scripture says. It's what Paul says. It's like so many things in life, though. Um, I'm married. I've got a wedding ring on. I've been married for 21 years. I've received a wife. I'm grateful to God for this gift. And we have an intimate, open, communicating relationship. But we all know if if you're married or if you're in any kind of relationship with your parents or with your friends, with your children, we have to fight to maintain that. If we just kind of relax and do what we, uh, what we each individually want to do, it's not long before our relationship starts to become brittle and before we start to feel and experience distance from each other and coldness. So we've received this thing, but we have to work to maintain it. Um, Paul elsewhere talks about the spirit of unity and the bond of peace as something that's been given to the church and exists in the church, but nevertheless is something for the church to maintain. I flew this past week to Charleston, South Carolina, to do some business there, and, and I was thinking about this, that, that the plane got to cruising altitude. You know, we had a, a, achieved lift, and, and we're flying, and that depends on the, those curved wings, right? And I c- get a whiteboard out and try to des- describe it. We all know how lift works, probably. It has a lot to do with those wings and thrust. You have to have some engine pushing that plane through the air so that the air is moving across those different surfaces at different speeds so that the plane stays in the air. If we were at cruising altitude and the pilot decided to turn the engines off, the airplane just becomes a massive, massive hunk of metal containing a bunch of human beings that's not going to stay in the air. So we're up in the air, but, but the engines keep us in the air. We have to fight to maintain it. We have to see to it that we maintain altitude. My wife and I have to see to it that we maintain intimacy. And Paul is saying that our faith is like this. Listen to what he says in verse 6. 
Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, it's something that you have already. Just like, I have a wife. That's my status. Your status is that you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. And he doesn't say, so pull your oars in and give God thanks because you're good to go. That's not what he says. He says, as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. So keep walking in him. This pair is comes. You can, if you were here last week, you see how this just flows so smoothly from what Scott shared with us from the previous section. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's the thesis of the book. And I, I would argue that 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 first phrase, therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Christ Jesus the Lord, so keep walking in him, so walk in him. That distills the book of Colossians. It distills Paul's burden for this church. It distills why he took the trouble to sit down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write these things to this particular group of people. And it, it takes us back to the Christ that we have received, that he's been working on for the first part of this letter, and then it takes us forward into some of what he's going to unpack about what it means to put things off and put things on, and what does it mean to walk in him? What do you mean by that, Paul? So he's going to unpack this on both sides. But Paul is concerned. Paul is concerned. He's concerned because he's writing to this group of human beings who live and breathe and have their being in the world. They live and breathe and have their being in anxieties about finances and in their vocations and in their politics and in all the things that are happening around them that could, that could grasp their attention, that could take them captive. And not only that, but other ideas and, and ideologies that exist around them that would diminish or displace Jesus as Lord. He's concerned. He's concerned that the, that the Colossian church not be taken captive by something else. And you can see easily how that would reverberate not just to the Colossian church, but to all of us and to you and I here this morning. See how he goes forward, kind of this concern. Don't, don't pull the throttle back on this faith that you've received and see yourself taken captive by these other forces such as gravity would take hold of an airplane and pull it down. He's seeing the Colossian church and their faith in very much the same way. You have to keep on walking. You have to keep on moving forward. You have to keep on pressing in or else, listen to what he says, another uh, warning here in verse 8, see to it, be alert, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So he's calling the Colossian church here in the next section to be alert that there are these other forces working against what's been given to the church, working against 
Jesus Christ the Lord whom they have received already and possess. Paul is describing a world where other forces and other influence are tugging at that and are, are seeking to dislodge it and replace that attachment to Christ and that thriving in Christ with other things. Just the same way it happens everywhere else in, in life. This isn't complicated. I mean, I can get my head around some problem that I'm worried about, whether it's got to do with work or finances or one of the kids or whatever, and I can get my head so wrapped up in anxiety that, that my wife and I aren't really talking. It's not hard, is it? It's not hard to get pulled away and captivated by something else. Captivated isn't... Uh, it, it captivated just means to influence and dominate by some special charm, art, trait, and with irrefutable appeal. We can be captivated by wonderful things, and we can be captivated by artificial facsimiles of wonderful things. So Paul here is warning us, if you notice, it's interesting. He lists these negative things with this word captivate. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by another idea that's not Christ, or empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, but listen to where he finishes, and not according to Christ. It's an interesting construction because what he's essentially implying, if you follow his thought, is that, <coughs> in fact, we were created and exist to be captivated by Christ. That's who we are. We've received Christ and, and we've been created in Christ as new creatures and we exist to keep on being captivated by Christ. Excuse me. But Paul's not seeing that as a done deal. He finds it necessary regardless of um, his... Uh, doctrinal framework he finds it necessary as as the as the bishop of this church to come and say see to it be careful be careful that that, that other things don't creep in here and start to peel your fingers away from being captivated by christ be careful that nothing else worms its way in here to disassociate you in in, in terms of your affections or or your 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 captivation your affections even Again, as Scott was talking last week about spiritual disciplines and the things that we do to nurture and cultivate and maintain, not out of law, not out of some sense of, well, I should read my Bible because it's the right thing to do. Paul says, do these things abounding in thanksgiving. Just continue walking as a grateful creature, continuing to cultivate this attachment and affection and orientation and allegiance to Christ. See to it that you do that rather than be drawn away by these things here. And then he goes on and spends the bulk of his time here in verses 9 through 15, in some ways recapitulating, revisiting the, the doxology that, that's, that's led us to this point in the letter, all this praise that he's been giving to Christ, all this rich information and magnification of, of Jesus and who he is. I, 
I think that the way that these 9 through 15, that these verses function is it, it goes with this idea of captivation. See, he just mentions these other four things in passing in verse 8. But then when he comes to Jesus and he says, and not according to Christ, don't let anybody captivate you with anything other than Christ. He takes that word Christ and pivots into this massive paragraph of showing you and showing me. Look, this is how wonderful he is. This is how spectacular he is. This is how satisfying he is. If you know you have this, if you know you have him, oh, that's going to be a complete game changer in terms of how pulled away you might be or, or as, as the old hymn says, um, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth grow strangely dim. I think that's what he's doing here. He's allowing us to see once again the beauty of Christ and what we've received and just how uh, rooted and built up and established we are based on what Christ has already done for us. He's reminding us of the goodness of this um, covenant that he's brought us into. The solidarity of it. Listen to this paragraph once again. Listen to what you've been given. Listen to who you are. Listen to how absolutely secure you are because of what he's done. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Everything of Yahweh is poured into this person, Jesus Christ. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This record of debt, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul here reminds us of who we are. He reminds us of what we've received, the goodness of it, the solidarity of it, the beauty of it. As we think through all those things that have been accomplished for us and freely given to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the question is begged here. The, the scales have been set up on the table. And, and Paul is saying, you have to, Weigh, weigh what you've received in Christ with these philosophies and empty deceits and human traditions and elemental spirits. He's not saying that we can't 
be influenced by those things, that we're not supposed to live in the world and that we're supposed to just go around with our fingers and our ears. He's not saying that we aren't supposed to be interacting with these ideas and caring about vocation and caring about friendships and relationships in the world. He's simply saying, man, as you do that, as you walk down the street smelling everything that every street vendor is selling, you need to be careful that you're not taken captive by it. That's all he's saying not saying hole up in your basement and start collecting weapons right and wait for jesus he's saying no go out and do what you do for jesus and and as you do that remember that you've received him that you're rooted in him that you're built up in him that you're established in him and go out abounding in thanksgiving for what christ has done and don't be taken captive by these other things man because they sound good and sometimes in a weak moment Man, I wish some of those things were true. I've gone around the horn on some of these worldly traditions and ideas, hoping that they were true. Hearing a good friend that's been taken captive by one who I've trusted and known and loved for a long time and think, man, it's compelling when you say it that way. Paul is just saying, be careful. Be careful that you're only ever taken captive by Christ. Keep walking in Christ. I've thought a lot about the, the last part of this sermon. I've thought, well, where do you go? I mean, they teach you to, to bring application at the end of a sermon. Um, so what's the application for this? And I thought, well, Scott talked about spiritual disciplines last week. That would be a good way to do it. How should we not be taken captive? Well, we should not be taken captive by, but that's not in the text. So I, I don't know. That, that felt weird to me. And, 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 and I thought of other things, you know, um, Christian fellowship, coming to church, um, making sure that we're part of a body and that, that we're taking the Eucharist regularly and, you know, these things, but that's not in the text. What's in the text? And they, they all are implied in walk in him. How do you walk in him? Well, you pray and you get out alone and you read the word and, and you come to church. So walk in him is loaded with lots of things. But you know what I like as the catch-all? The, the, the phrase that Paul uses here that gets me every time. There's no way I go through this word whenever I see it in scripture and pass the pop quiz. I always am sharpened and adjusted when I see this word in scripture. Thanksgiving. Man, can't do it. Can't do it if you're anxious. Can't do it if you're numb. Can't do it if you're harboring some secret sin that you're not letting go of. Can't do it if you're syncretistic, thinking everybody's fine. I mean, if everybody's fine, if we're all fine and, and, and we've essentially bought the kind of lingua franca, if we've just kind of bought whatever the elemental spirit and the human tradition is that's out there now, which is that we should just not talk about this stuff. Let's not take God too seriously. If you want to privately believe something about God, that's fine. You do you. But we don't bring that into the marketplace. We don't bring that into the public square. We don't bring that into conversations. That's your thing. That's your, like, rocking chair in the attic. But that's where it stays. That's where faith belongs. That's what we hear now. 
And we just accept each other for uh, lots of other reasons. If that's what we believe, we're not thankful. I'm not thankful. What's to be thankful for? Paul lands this thesis statement, verses 6 to 7, after saying, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so keep on walking in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving modifies all those other things. It, 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 it modifies rooted, it modifies built up, it modifies established. Abounding in thanksgiving. There are a lot of things that we can do following this passage, but I believe that God would want this to stick that he is reminding us of the good news of Jesus. That Jesus, in his body and in his blood, in the finished work of, on the cross, he has made it so that your sins have been forgiven. So that your whole record of debt has been canceled, has been set aside, nailed to the cross. That's amazing news. That's what you've received. That's what you've received. And now Paul is saying, keep Walking in that. It is under threat. I'm not saying under threat of being snatched away from you because that would, you know, the Apostle John would probably disagree. Um, I'm saying maybe it's just under threat of being so mulched over by other things that it's unrecognizable and useless to you. Existentially. Day, day by day. Paul is saying, man, keep this beautiful um, rose bush that's been given to you and put in the center of your garden keep it free of other things make sure it's up in the mix make sure it's visible and central and flourishing keep on walking in this gospel that you've been given keep on walking in it and what's the key thing that we can maybe remember about how should i be doing that are you thankful are you thankful Ask your spouse. When in, in terms of my conversation, would you say that my conversation is marked by thankfulness or anxiety or complaining, bickering? Am I a thankful person? Again, putting myself out there first, I, I, don't, I never passed this pop quiz and I don't pass it this morning. If my wife were here and we brought her up and I asked her in front of everybody, she'd say, he can work. He could definitely work on that. <laughs> Gordon would say that. Because it's true. It's so easy for me to be drawn and, and taken captive by other things. Whether it's a worldly philosophy or something just a lot more banal. Like paying a bill. Or needing four new tires unexpectedly on a car. Whatever it is, it can throw me off track of being thankful. And I think if Paul were here, he would say the first way to keep walking in him is to make sure you're tuning up your thanksgiving. Be thankful for this massive dump truck of grace that has been unloaded into your lap. All of your sins forgiven. 
not just buried with Christ, but raised with him. All the fullness of the deity dwelling in him bodily, and then you in turn being filled in him. What's lacking, Keith? What do you need, pal? Four new tires? Oh, no. Can we, can we have the tire conversation while you're thanking me for this? Can this, can this thing kind of tinge the conversation that we have about the next thing that you need or the thing you're freaked out about? Come on, man. So I believe that God would urge us, encourage us that we have been completely transformed and fundamentally changed brought into a whole new world order, a whole new created order where Christ is at the center and he's holding all things together and reconciling all things to himself and you're already included in that. You're already home, essentially. So let's encourage one another. Let's encourage family member to family member. Let's encourage thanksgiving and let's ask the Holy Spirit when I'm veering off of thanksgiving, when I'm forgetting these things which are most true about me, help me remember, help me catch myself in grumbling and use that reminder as a path back to thankfulness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.